0: Okay, hey, Thank you. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Okay, I, was, uh, I wanted to start us off by having everyone stand. And we're going to practice our memory verse for the week. If you don't know it, shame on you. Just kidding. Uh, if you don't know it, you'll need to open up your Bibles to Jeremiah thirty-two forty, and we'll just say it together. Jeremiah thirty-two forty. Okay, we are going to be doing the last week of shepherding a child's heart. Uh, I, I see some faces um, that weren't here last week, so if if you haven't been following online or uh, listening online. Uh, we're finishing a series on shepherding a child's heart, and I um, just wanted to talk about last week a little bit before I begin. Uh, we looked last week, and we saw that really, as parents, we've been called um, with uh, an understanding of having a true biblical goal in parenting And when you have a a biblical goal, what we saw last week is that goal should inform our methods that we use, the methods that we employ as parents. Um, And uh, so, again, we had talked about lining those two things up. If you have a, a particular goal, then your methods need to be in line with that goal. And we looked at several methods last week that... Understanding our goal as Christian parents, those methods don't line up, and in fact, they work in many ways, in a lot of ways, against the goal. Thank you for turning me down. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Denny. Uh, If you did not get a handout, if you'd raise your hand. Hopefully we have enough. So that was last week. Pretty much we ended by saying, you just keep your hand up, Denny's coming around, Uh, that we had opened up our toolbox of parenting and we had taken out tools. Uh, And for many of us, those are the tools that we use the majority of the time, sometimes exclusively. Um, Some of those tools have no place in the Christian home. Um, and But I did want to say that some of those tools can be used uh, as long as you understand the goal that you're after. Uh, just remember that the tools that we looked at, the methods that we looked at last week, have a, a, a fundamental assumption about them. They, they focus on the behavior. And we saw that as Christian parents, that can't be our focus the behavior is more symptomatic of the root issue. And as Christian parents, we're trying to dive down below the behavior to get to the heart. And so um, my only caution is if you use those tools, uh, make sure it's not out of ease and make sure it's in line with your goal. Because let's face it, I mean, this past week I had to stop myself uh, because I was going to employ one of those methods, and the reason when I examined my heart that I was going to use it was because it was easy and it was quick. Um, and I didn't want to take the time to deal with the heart issue. And so that's my warning. If you use those, just make sure, um, if you take away a privilege, for example, make sure it's in line with your goal. Okay. Okay. Uh, where does that leave us? What we're going to do today is we're going to look at, we're going to open back up our toolbox. There's still a couple of tools in there. These tools may be rusty, uh, maybe they're, uh, they've are they been misused and they're dull, so we're going to take them out, we're going to sharpen them up, and hopefully the, we're going to primarily rely on these tools. Um, so if you, if you look at the, uh, the biblical approach to parenting, uh, we see primarily two elements, and those two elements are rich, full communication, that is rich, full, F-U-L-L, communication, and the rod, so communication and the rod. Before we look at these, let's ask the Lord to help us have understanding this morning. Father, we come before you, and uh, we come in many ways in humility, recognizing uh, that we fall way short when it comes to the tasks that you've called us to be as parents and uh lord i I pray that you would give us hearts that understand that truly seek to apply your ways your methods and your goals to our parenting and uh, lord i pray for our children that you would raise up a generation of god-fearing god-honoring children who love you with all of their hearts that's the prayer that we have for our own children. That's the prayer that we have um, for the children that we have in this church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that. We know that, uh, that we can work with all our might, yet if you're not at work, our work is in vain. So, Lord, we pray that you would be at work convicting the hearts of our children, opening their eyes to help them see the need that they have for you And, uh, Lord, that they would put their trust and hope in you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 23. We're going to be in the Psalms quite a bit this morning. Psalm 23, we're going to read verses 13 through 26. What did I say? Proverbs, yes, sorry although we would do well to read Psalms 2. There's not a 26, or 23, 13. (laughs) Okay, uh, Proverbs 23, 13 says this, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, notice the audience shift here. So, verses 13 and 14 The audience is not the child, but parents. Fifteen, it's my son. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear my son and be wise. And direct your heart in the way. Be not among the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will, will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding." The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So we see in in Proverbs 23, you see these two methods or tools side by side working together. You see the rod and you see communication And notice it's a lot of different types of communication. And we're going to be looking at some of those today, not just in this passage, but throughout the Bible. Um, But together, uh, these two things, the rod and communication, are the tools that Christian parents have at their disposal, primarily. Uh, Tripp says this in his book, Together they form a God-pleasing, spiritually satisfying cohesive and unified approach to discipline, correction, and the training of children. So, these two working together, if you divorce them, if you just use the rod, divorced from rich, full communication, oftentimes the use of the rod will be abusive. Um, The same thing can be true of communication, If you use communication in a way that's not God-honoring, it's not a biblical way of communicating, or think, for example, back to last week when we talked about emotionalism, that form of communication, as well as others, can be abusive, and we've all seen that probably or, or at least experienced it to some degree. Both of these tools can be abusive. What we want to do is use them the way God has designed them to be used. We want to use the rod, and we want to use communication. We want to blend them together in a way that commu- that uh, directs our kid to the goal that we have, that God has for our children. Um, and I was just thinking about this, uh, and I was thinking of uh, my youngest child, my daughter Emma. If, if I give Emma a spanking, um, she may not like it at the moment, but in a short period of time our relationship's not going to be broken because of that. She's going to come to me, and a lot of times she'll come and repent because her heart's been broken over the situation, whatever I had to discipline her for. But when I get done with with spanking her and communicating with her about that, our relationship is fine. However, if someone she doesn't know or someone she doesn't know well, even if their intentions are good... If they give Emma a spanking, it could damage their relationship with her. Why is that? It's because there's not the rich, full communication joined with the use of the rod. And so, as Christian parents, we want to be careful that we're using both of those. It would be really easy to abuse the rod, uh, and it's really easy to abuse communication. And so... Uh, let's look at what the Bible says about these. <clears throat> Tool number one: communication. Uh, and again, the two adjectives we're using is are rich and full. Uh, we want to have communication that's both rich and full. Uh, one uh, Ted Tripp gives this example in his book. He says, "I asked one father to tell me about his communication with his son, and the father responded." Oh, we talk okay. Just last night, he told me he wanted a bicycle, and I told him to eat his beans. So, uh, Tripp's asking this guy, you know, tell me about your communication with your son, and and that's his response. Now, that example is simplistic and and really kind of comical, but it's, as Tripp points out, it's pretty accurate of how most parents communicate with their kids. Children tell their parents their dreams, their hopes. Parents tell their children what to do. That's not the kind of communication that we as Christian parents want to um, try to have in our, in our homes and our families. Well, let's look first at the purpose of communication. The purpose of Communication. The first thing we need to understand is that uh, rich, full communication should be a dialogue. And I don't remember my blanks in my notes, so if if I go too fast past something, just let me know. Uh, Communication should be a dialogue, not a monologue. There's a difference between listening to speak and listening to understand. It was funny this past week I was overhearing and this wasn't a discipline situation, but it's reflective of what we're talking about here. Uh, Most of us really struggle with listening. I know I struggle with listening. A lot of times in a conversation, especially if it's uh, a discipline issue or even um, a disagreement about something, typically I'm not listening to understand the person. I'm listening so that I can get in my point. Um, And and we're, we're usually really good at that. So I overheard this conversation this past week, and two people were talking. And it was very obvious that the one who initiated the conversation had a point they wanted to get to. But something they said at the beginning in order to get to their point triggered something in the other person's mind, and that person immediately took over the conversation. And the the first person, and I'm, I'm listening, and it was very obvious they were going somewhere. This person was oblivious to that. And just dominated the rest of the conversation. I think the first person thought, well, it's too far past, so I'm not going to go back and bring my point up. But uh, I think if we're honest, that's the way most of us communicate. We're really good at speaking, but we're not so good at listening. James 1, 19 reminds us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now why does James say that? Well, it's because our problem is, is that we're slow to hear and quick to speak. Um, one time, I'll use another example. This was not with my kids, but um, I used to be a teacher, a high school teacher, and I remember one day very clearly I had a student that I had a pretty good relationship with, and I had to get on to him in class one day because he, his behavior wasn't what it should be in class, and um, I'll never forget, he stood up in the middle of class, said a cuss word, and then walked out of the class. And I thought, that's interesting. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, he left the class, so I wrote him up, you know. And um, But before I took the write-up to the office, to the principal, I called his mom. And I said, let me tell you what happened today, and I just want to know if there's something going on with this kid. And uh, so I told her what happened. She said, you know, I'm really sorry about that, but yes, uh, this student lost his grandmother. He was really close to her. Well, now that changes my perspective, right? Having that information changes. Now, what this student did was still wrong. He still needed to be disciplined for it. But now I'm understanding a little bit more about what's happening in his heart. So I called the student in, talked to him, and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I explained, you know, that I was sorry about his grandmother passing away. I still turned in the slip to the principal, um, but I also explained the situation to the principal. But a lot of times there's things happening in people's hearts, and sometimes in our kids' hearts, especially as they get older, that if we're not listening, we're going to miss, and we're going to discipline over. We're not going to deal with the real issue. We're going to deal with surface issues. We're going to deal with behavior. Uh, Turn back a couple of chapters to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verse 2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in in expressing his opinions. A lot of times, we're foolish in our conversations. We're foolish in our communication. Verse 13, If one gives an answer before he hears, it it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and his shame. Both of these verses highlight the fact that our goal in communication is hearing, um, not just speaking. The art of communication is not so much about learning how to express your thoughts. Most of us are pretty good at that. Rather, it's learning how to draw out the thoughts of someone else. And so, as we communicate with our kids, and this is a principle in life in general, any conversation you have, work on trying to become someone who draws out what's in the heart of the other person. Communication number two, or whatever it is in your notes, <laughs> communication should focus on understanding. We've kind of already gotten to that point. Uh, remember, uh, Last week, we looked at uh, Luke 6.45. Luke 6.45 basically says that out of the mouth, or the mouth speaks out of the abundance of what? The heart. So the mouth is speaking, but it's speaking out of the abundance of the heart. So our conversation, our communication with our kids is always trying to hear the words that's coming out of the mouth, but understand that those words originate in the heart. And that's not always an obvious connection. And so we as parents want to try to get past the words to the heart. Um, we want to peel back the layers of the words and get to the root issue. Okay, one chapter, or one, yeah, one chapter over Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's like the key verse for today. The purpose in a man's heart, let's change this for our topic today. The purpose in a child's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw that out. And that's a lot of work. It's really easy not to do this. What is important in correcting our children is not venting our frustration or our anger rather it's understanding the nature of the struggle that our children are engaged in at that moment what is the abundance of the heart that our kids are expressing in their behavior in their in their words um oh no i was going to bring something and read it but i forgot it i'm very sorry so i'll go to the next thing Uh, again, we need to learn to peel away the behavior, discern the inner world, the inner workings of our kids. And what is it we want to understand? We want to understand three primary things. What is the nature of the temptation our child is facing? And by the way, again, I want to make another note. This is true in any kind of a counseling or conflict situation that you're, you're in. These are three things you want to try to find out. What is the nature of the temptation? What, what are the possible responses? And then what is the sinful response that he or she had? So, what is the nature of the temptation? What are the possible responses that someone could have to this temptation? And then what was the sinful response that our child did have to the temptation? And um, I'm going to go back to last week again and just point out the fact that we understand there's choices in life, right? You have a temptation. You can either choose to respond in one of two ways. You can respond in faith or you can respond in unbelief. Those are your only two options. Now, those can look different, but those are basically your only two options. So, when we deal with our children, we want to try to get to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is, what's the temptation they're facing, and how did they respond? What are other alternatives? We want to avoid questions that begin with the word, why? I know I'm just killing it for you. all <laughs> Why did you hit your sister What are they going to say to that? Most kids don't have the maturity to answer that question the way you need it answered, right? Most adults don't have the maturity to answer that question the way it needs to be answered. Um, children can't analyze their heart. That's your job as a parent. And so the why did you hit your sister or why did you do that, uh, that's, a, that's a poor way of getting to the heart of the matter because your kids aren't going to answer that question the way you need it answered. So rather than asking why, here's some questions. Or here's an example of what you might say. What were you feeling when you hit your sister? What was going on in your heart? Obvious answer: I was angry, or whatever they they're gonna how they're gonna respond to that. What did your sister do to make you angry? So now you're leading your child through a series of questions to understand the why. Then help me understand how hitting her seemed to make things better. Possible options. What was the temptation? What are the possible responses? What was the problem with what your sister was doing to you? A lot of times, our kids respond because they were sinned against. It's okay to let them express that. You need to know that as a parent. I mean, a lot of times... When there's conflict, maybe not a lot, maybe all the time there's conflict in your home. There's two sinners involved, right? And usually it's not a one-way road. There is an offense on both sides. Maybe one was uh, more or guilty of a, maybe a more serious sin, but, but both of them probably had sin. It's okay to let them express that. Listen to them. Allow, allow him or her to express how they were sinned against. Then you ask, how else could you have responded to this situation? So what was the temptation? What are the possible responses? How did you respond? And then how do you think your response reflected trust or a lack of trust in God's ability to provide for you? Because ultimately, what we're dealing with in situations is we're responding, and we're either responding in faith or in unbelief. So we want to start walking our kids through that process and the questions that we ask them. Okay, let's look at the types of communication. We talked about the fact that communication needs to be rich and full. That, we just looked at the purpose of communication. Now let's look at the types of communication. Um, and uh, and we're going to look at several that uh, the Bible examples that we have in the Bible. Um, these are the types of communication, uh, and it's important for us to see this because when we use the different types of communication, what they do is they weave together a fabric of communication in the home that creates an atmosphere where the heart can really be exposed. Typically, when we talk about communication in our homes. We're kind of like the dad, you know, my kid told me he wanted a bike and I told him to eat his beans. Um, But but usually when it comes to discipline, we typically think in, in terms of this. First off, there's rules, then there's correction, and then there's punishment. It's a basic format that we have of communication in our homes regarding discipline. Uh, and typically, it's limited to, and what I want us to see is there's much more of the picture that we're missing when we just focus on this. Typically, our communication and discipline is explaining the rules to our kids, and then explaining the punishment they're going to get for breaking the rules. So, you've, you have the rules, the kid breaks the rules, and then you're explaining now what the penalty is, um, and those three elements or those elements need to be a part of our communication, but there's much, 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 much more that we need to be engaging in with our kids. Uh, most of our, uh, our communication with our kids must be multifaceted and richly textured like a fabric. Um, if we want to learn to discern what type of communication fits the occasion, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Turn to 1st Thessalonians 5:14. We see an example here where Paul talks about the need of having different types of communication to fit the need of the moment. 1st Thessalonians 5:14. Paul says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Now just listen as I go through this. Notice there is a type or a form of communication that fits a need or something someone's doing. So Paul says we are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. So we get a glimpse here of the fact that we, we really can't have a one-size-fits-all when it comes to communication. We have to discern what's going on in the heart of our kid, and, and, and then we have to respond to that in an appropriate way, and that takes work, and that takes uh, practice. It takes a lot of discernment on our part. The worst thing you can do is to respond with the wrong type of communication to the wrong heart attitude. Um, I'll remember uh, one instance where I did this. Uh, uh, My wife, Jen, used to um, teach a children's choir at a church that we went to before we came to this one. Um, And I was there one day, uh, and she was teaching the choir. And there was a kid in there that I didn't know. I was new at the church. Um, And uh, I don't know what he had. Uh, but he had a disability that caused him to limp. And I mistook his walk because she was giving them instruction on what to do, and I mistook his walk as making fun of or light of the situation in choir. And I got on to him, only to find out that he wasn't making fun he had a disability. You can imagine, uh, I felt about that big. <laughs> uh, I felt like I had just crushed this kid uh, verbally um, because I misunderstood his heart. I misunderstood his intention. I could give you a lot of examples where <laughs> uh, where that's happened, unfortunately. Uh, we need to understand that we are responding to um, something that's hard to understand. The human heart is hard to understand, and it's dynamic. It changes depending on the situation. So, let's look at the different types of communication. The first one is encouragement. Encouragement is communication that is designed to inspire and fill with hope and courage. We use this typically when a child understands that what they did was wrong and they're broken. If you have a kid and they see their sin and they're broken over it, you don't want to rebuke them. You want to encourage them. You want to inspire them and fill them with hope. Uh, Or if you have a kid that feels a sense of failure or rejection, um, you want to encourage them. Number two... Correction. Correction is communication that is designed to bring into conform to bring someone into conformity with a standard. Correction is designed to bring into conformity with a standard. Uh, We see uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 reminds us that one of the jobs that the Word of God functions and does in our lives is it corrects us. Uh, We see God's standard. And we want to bring our lives in line with that, and that's correction. Um, We need to help our children understand uh, the standard that God has for them and to be able to assess their own behavior and see how well it lines up with the standard that God has. And to do that, we need to correct. Third, we need to rebuke. Rebuke is communication designed to censure behavior. Uh, this is stronger than correction. Uh, it usually carries with it a more firm tone of voice. Uh, sometimes our our children are defiant and, and they need something a little stronger than correction. Um, and that's where this would fit in. Um, usually you would follow this up with other forms of communication like instruction or encouragement and prayer. Fourth, You'll see some similarities in some of these, but they are, they are there is a distinction. Fourth, we have entreaty. And entreaty is communication designed to see danger. Um, uh, again, you're communicating, and your purpose here. Uh, maybe we should add an adjective here. It's uh, because let me let me do entreaty and warning together, uh, because warning is very very similar. You see, warning is number six. I think the blank is the word. So jump down to number six. We have number four is entreaty. Number six is warning. Notice that warning is communication designed to point out danger in life. Uh, entreaty is similar. They're both, re- they're both trying to help our children see danger, um, but an entreaty is much stronger. Uh, an entreaty is where there's imminent danger. Uh, you're going to use an entreaty when what your kids are doing is uh, extremely dangerous, um, and and you want to help them see that danger so that they don't fall into a pit that they're very close to. Um, a warning is a is a little more distant, uh, in a sense. There's still danger, but it may be something that your kid is not your child is not uh, uh, very close to, but it's just a, more of a general warning. I'll give you some examples. Um, I would say uh, if your child is in real danger of flirting with some particular sins, uh, that would warrant an entreaty um, because these certain sins can have very devastating consequences, um, thinking in particular of sexual sins um, or pornography, Something that, has, that can be very devastating to this child's life or uh, their future marriage. So you want to entreat, and an entreaty is more, uh, it, there, it's, I don't want to say more emotional, but there's, you're urging, you're pleading. An entreaty is more serious than a warning. I'll come back to warning in just a minute. Number five, everybody with me? Did I even confuse? Okay, good. Number five, instruction. Instruction is communication designed to provide a lesson or information that will help them understand the world they live in, in light of the fact that they are living before God. So, when you instruct, you're helping them understand the world around them. Much of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament would be instruction. Hey, this is life, um, and this is how you need to live in this world. Uh, it's meant to really give you God's perspective on life. All right, back to warning. Uh, Warning is similar to entreaty, but it's not as urgent. We're going to look at some, I'm just going to give you some examples. You can write these down and look them up later. Uh, The book of Proverbs is filled with warnings. Uh, Here's some examples. Proverbs 12, 24, laziness ends in slave labor. That's a warning. So now you can kind of see the difference between warning and entreaty. Uh, Proverbs thirteen eighteen: Ignoring discipline will lead to poverty and shame. Son, if you ignore my discipline, there are going to be consequences for that. It's a warning. Proverbs fifteen one: You moms know this one well, I'm sure. A harsh word stirs up anger. Um, if you don't know that one well, you should. A harsh word stirs up anger. That's a warning. How you respond can make a situation worse or better. Uh, in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, you dads know this one. Pride goes before the fall. Um, pride goes before the fall. It's a warning. If you're going to be prideful, things aren't going to go well for you. Basically, a warning is A leads to B. Number seven. Teaching. Teaching is communication designed to impart knowledge. Um, sometimes this is done uh, before our kids fail. Sometimes you're teaching them before something happens. But teaching is really effective after our kids fail. Uh, our kids are often going to make mistakes. They're going to they're going to they're going to choose the wrong thing, and that's a great opportunity for teaching because then they are well aware of the consequences. Um, so, teaching is communication designed to impart knowledge. Lastly, number eight is prayer. This one's a little bit different uh, because prayer is not communicating to your children. But praying with your children, communicating to God, I think can be an effective communication method with our kids. Um, When we pray with our children, number one, it helps us understand who they are. If you want to really get to know your kid's heart, pray with them. Let them pray. What are they praying for? It can be a window into their heart. And so, uh, as they pray, listen to them. Listen to what they're praying for, they're asking for. And secondly, prayer can be effective in another sense. Not only are you listening to them, but they're listening to you. And I hope when we pray, we are praying faith filled, hope filled prayers. We want to communicate to our kids that our complete trust, our complete confidence is in God, not in us. Not in our wisdom or our ability, but our complete trust is in God, and and so as we pray with our kids, we want to listen to them, but we also want to fill them with a sense of how they should be approaching life. Those are the types of communication. Um, let's get to tool number two, because I'm quickly running out of time. The rod. Our culture Misunderstands the biblical use of the rod And I think we all know that Um, If you If you mention spanking To most people today It conjures up an image in their mind Of some disheveled frustrated mom Just going to town waylaying their kid in the Walmart parking lot. Um, That's what most people think of when they hear the word spanking. Um, Unfortunately, that image is somewhat justified. Because often, we do not apply the rod in a faithful way. And I hope that's not true of us, but we've all done it. Um, and so we really need to use the rod. It is a God given tool, but it can be abused, especially when we're doing it when we're angry. And so the first thing I would say is we need to be careful in our application of the rod, uh, because knowing that it is a temptation for us to do it when we're angry, partly because. Uh, most of at least uh, a lot of our parents probably didn 't demonstrate that uh, in a proper way, and so we 're usually following in their footsteps um, yeah if you want to if you want to scandalize someone today, just tell them you spank your kids um, and and uh, that will probably be enough um, <laughs> in the book Trip tells a story of he, he had a young couple at their church over for dinner, and, um, and his, one of his kids misbehaved, so he took him upstairs to give him a spanking. And the wife of the couple looked at Tripp's wife and said, what's he going to do? And she goes, he's probably going to give him a spanking. <laughs> and the lady was just emotionally upset, you know, that the fact that he would go spank his kid. Uh, so let's deal with, uh, there are three questions I want to deal with. And I have about seven minutes. Why do we need the rod? What is the function of the rod? And then what's, what is the rod? Or what's the definition of the rod? I think Tripp has a really good definition. So, why do we need the rod? The reason that uh, this is going to take a lot of unlearning for us, even us Christians because we have about 200 years of bad teaching when it comes to what a child is. Um, We've been taught for years that children are born neutral. It's in our school system. It's in psychology. It's everywhere. Uh, And it all kind of came out of the Enlightenment uh, this idea of tabula rasa, the heart is a blank slate, uh, goes back to John Locke, maybe even before that, uh, but John Locke and um, Hume, all of these guys push this idea that kids are born morally neutral. Well, if that's the truth, then spanking may not be necessary. The rod may not be necessary, but that's not the truth and all of us as parents know that's not the truth. Right? All we have to do is walk down to the toddler room and take a look at how they're treating each other. And we learn very quickly that kids are not born morally neutral. They're cute. They look like they should be morally neutral, <laughs> but they're not. Uh, children are born sinners, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If we go down and look, the cutest little baby in the nursery, I'm not going to mention who that is, the cutest baby down there has a heart that's filled with things that if if those things are allowed to grow and develop will end in destruction for that baby. It will end in death for that child. We as Christian parents need to recognize there is something in the heart of our babies and our children as they grow that's not good. That's wicked. The rod is intended... To remove that element from the heart. Proverbs tells us that folly is bound up in the heart of the child. Uh, you can look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, uh, which says, the, "...the rod of discipline will drive it far from him." Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod will drive it far from him." One of the functions of the rod is to drive out foolishness. You spend uh, a month reading the Proverbs. They're not very flattering. Especially when you consider the fact that this is Solomon writing to his son. All it talks about is, son, there's a fool out there. And don't be the fool. (laughs) There's a fool out there. There's... There's a wise person out there. Don't be the fool. And and he's talking about the rod and, and its ability to remove foolishness. So the rod functions in this context. It addresses something in the heart that mere words have a hard time addressing. The rod functions to drive the folly that's in the heart of the child and drive it out. A fool's life is run by his desires. Fools resist instruction So sometimes you can instruct your children, they resist it. Proverbs says so. They do not submit to God's authority. This is who they are. Um, And again, this is the rod is designed by God to drive foolishness out of the heart of the child. Proverbs twenty three fourteen says, If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. What is the rod? I'm sorry, what is the function of the rod? I've kind of already alluded to this, Proverbs 23, 14, it it rescues. So one of the functions of the rod is it rescues. Secondly, it imparts wisdom. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Uh, When a child rejects the authority of the parent, they are in a sense setting themselves up against God. And that is not something that if you love your child, you will let them do, right? If we love our kids, then we want to act in a way that helps them realize that they're acting foolish. Uh, And and the rod properly used, not in anger, uh, but the rod properly applied in context of a relationship that's that has rich communication will help our children understand the foolishness that's in their heart and by the way i would say if you uh if you are when you use the rod you always combine it with communication and never do it out of anger if you're angry just walk away do it later have another parent do it because usually we know how it works Usually one parent's really really upset and the other one's not, so just have the one deal with it, you know, and and, then as you're working together, if you see, hey, your wife is losing it right now, then step in and say, you know what, I'll take care of this. Or wise, if you see your husband's losing it, just step in and say, you know what, let me handle this, Um, and so that you can deal with this in a way that's going to be a good use of the rod, not an abusive use. Um. Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to turn there quickly, I think it's helpful for us to see this passage, Hebrews 12, verse 11, and I need to stop pretty soon, so I'm almost there. For, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So, and this is not talking about children, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about God's punishment of us. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But what, is, what happens afterwards? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not going to be pleasant in the moment. But the end result of the discipline is sweet. The end result is fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And that's our goal as we discipline our kids. So let me give you the definition. Actually, I have the definition in your notes, right? Okay. Uh, Tripp's definition, I think, is very helpful. Uh, The rod is a parent. Actually, you can read it because I'm out of time. Um, And if you want to look at this more in his chapter on the rod, he kind of breaks down all of the elements of the definition. Um, I just knew I wouldn't have time to do that this morning. Um, But you can see that as we look at the tools, we definitely need to sharpen those tools because these are tools that we're probably not used to using in the right way. So let's uh, as parents, think about how we can improve on our communication with our kids. And then also how we can apply the rod in a way that is most effective, most loving to our kids. And understanding that these two tools are the primary tools that God has given us to train our kids in righteousness. To train them to love God with all their hearts and, 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 to, be, and to live their lives for His glory. And that's our ultimate goal as we parent our kids. So let me close this in prayer. Father, we do thank you. And Lord, we just again want to ask that you would forgive us for our failures in parenting. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, as we interact with our kids. um, Help us to learn to be better communicators, better listeners. uh, Help us to become good students of our children that we would understand the inner workings of their heart and help them to see that as well. Father, I pray that you would help us to use both communication and the rod in a way that's faithful and honoring to you. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would use these not only to help us grow more Christ-like, but to help our children grow more Christ-like. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.